Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Greg Rosenthal of NFL Network joins me to break down the John Robinson firing in Tennessee, what it means for the Titans over the next several years. And then we talk about other head coaches and general managers around the NFL who are on the hot seat. But first, wanted to tell you that now twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Lumina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is a podcast hosted by ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes, where Mina reacts to the biggest games from the weekend. Every Tuesday, she'll highlight the winners and losers from the weekend with Dominique Foxworth. And later in the week, she'll be joined by different expert guests to preview the most intriguing games. That's the, that is the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. Listen wherever you are listening to this podcast. And now here's Greg Rosenthal breaking down the surprising firing in Tennessee. All right, joining me now here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, someone I'm always excited to have on. A man who, how would I put this? There are very, it's going to sound really conceited of me. Maybe you'll agree with me, maybe you won't. There are very few people where if they say something about something football related and it, it is at odds with what I believe, I immediately question whether mm. I'm correct. And this man is one of the people where if he disagrees with me, I assume I am wrong and not him. And that is NFL Network's Greg Rosenthal. Greg, how are you? I, I'm good. I'm uncomfortable with this sort of praise. But you're right. It was a little bit of a humble brag that it like there's only a few people that will move you off your your spot. And I, I, I don't, don't, I don't feel well brag. with praise, though. I, it makes me feel awkward. Sure. I don't either. That's why I get to do it on this show, because it's my show. I don't I don't have to receive the praise. I can just throw it out there. But it is true. I do feel that way. Last time you were here, we asked you to defend your tweets. We're not going to do that today. Okay. Because, Greg, we had a, a story break this week that is very bizarre. I still don't really understand why it happened. I'm hoping you're going to explain it to me. And then we're going to jump off that to talk about some coaches and GMs around the NFL who might be on the proverbial hot seat. Now, this exercise may be stupid because of the story we're going to lead with here on the show today, which is a general manager who I would never have suspected was on the hot seat, was fired on Tuesday, and that is Tennessee Titans general manager John Robinson, who was fired with a 7-5 and record. He is about to win his third straight AFC South title. The Titans have their problems, but they are a relatively well-run organization, to me publicly, by NFL standards. So, Greg, I'll start with this. Did you have any inkling that this was about to happen? Oh, no. I was shocked. How, how, okay. how could you not be? And this is not an organization you hear a lot of like little whispers about or anything. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, there are definitely teams where you just hear about general frustration or just communication between the front office and the coaching staff isn't all that great. It sort of felt like, if anything, this was one of the organizations where the coaching staff and the general manager were more in lockstep than other organizations. Yeah, because... Robinson hired Mike Rabel. Yeah. And he did did so at the time under some I wouldn't call it controversy, but there was surprise there too because mm -hmm. Mike Malarkey was the coach. And did they win a playoff game that year? They, they made beat, the playoffs. They beat the Chiefs in a playoff game that year. Right. That was the so year they, where they 
they were about to fire malarkey apparently and they were down a bunch against the chiefs and it was like kind of like oh lol this guy's not going to make it to the second half of the game they win the game against the chiefs in arrowhead i think that was alex smith's last chiefs game if i'm not mistaken for the timing they um malarkey gets like the the vote of confidence hey look this guy won a game then they lost the game the following week and they fired malarkey anyway right and that's uh largely robinson certainly ownership has a big stake in that but part of it was that he had a certain vision of the way he wanted the coaching staff to be and and build it and he wanted to find a coach who was aligned and Vrabel was I wouldn't say an unorthodox pick but wasn't like the most obvious pick on the coaching circuit and so when Vrabel spoke on Wednesday I was really curious because my first reaction to seeing this is just like why why did it happen now Mm -hmm. and I'm going to assume uh, maybe incorrectly that Mike Vrabel is a part of the discussions, if not the main part of the discussions to get rid of John Robinson. Mm -hmm. And I I guess I was thinking like, why now, if that's the reason, if Mike Vrabel is getting more power, is it really just the emotions of losing to AJ Brown, which is like what everyone (laughs) first went to. And it almost seemed too silly and like a Twitter joke to be true, but Mm -hmm. maybe that really is true. Or maybe the, maybe the owner, Amy Adams strunk, um, got is the one that got emotional after that but i still feel like there's more to this story that no one's reported on what did you take away from vrabel's comments and how he positioned himself in relation to this decision either he's an incredible actor in terms of how compassionate he was and thankful to robinson and Mm -hmm. positioning himself I, i think as you're alluding to as really separate to this decision that it, it's mm-hmm. an ownership decision. And, and, you know, he had a conversation with John Robinson last night, almost that he was surprised either. He's an incredible actor, which <laughs> I don't know. I don't totally put back past NFL coaches. Some of them are, are pretty good at lying publicly. So uh, <laughs> I don't think that's like a totally crazy thing uh, that is a contributing factor or, mm-hmm. uh, Amy Adams strunk really was getting frustrated with kind of the John Robinson MO, which to me, and we can get into his track record is probably like, Hey, I'm the eighth to 12th best GM <laughs> in the league for the eighth to 12th best team in the league. And she just saw that AJ Brown game, uh, and went nuts because that apparently was was a move that was a John Robinson move. I think we can fairly surmise that. Mm-hmm. Do you? I like the idea of John Robinson having business cards that say eighth to twelfth best general manager in football. Well, I basing that on my GM rankings. I went back and yes. I was just curious where I had like ranked John Robinson mm-hmm. over the years, and that that it's generally in that area. If I had ranked him like after his very first draft, he would have had to been first because it was like a wild home run. It had Conklin, mm-hmm. Kevin Byard. Derek Henry, Austin Johnson, who's still in the league. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so he would have been high then. But then since then, you know, he's like very good, not like the best, but very good. Just like the Titans. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely teams who would be happy to have had the Tennessee Titans success over the past few seasons. I think the part that seems so bizarre to me is the timing. Like, like the resume we can get to, it is reasonable. Like you said, I don't think it is single-handedly an argument to keep him in the job. It's not single-handedly an excuse to fire him. But the timing happening, 
here in early December for a team that, like I said, is about to win the AFC South. It would take something miraculous from Indianapolis or Jacksonville, which may not even have Trevor Lawrence this weekend, to pry Tennessee from the top. They have lost two games in a row, but this is a team where a couple weeks ago we were praising how incredible they had done in terms of keeping the ship afloat with with Ryan Tannehill injured, with Malik Willis playing quarterback. They just beat the Packers um, on a Thursday night game where they were very impressive, really dominated the Packers from start to finish in that game, narrowly lose to the Bengals, and then they get blown out by the Eagles. And I think a lot of people have latched on to the Eagles element of this decision and the AJ Brown situation. And I have to admit, without knowing, which I will say I don't know, I'm skeptical that the AJ Brown thing is as transparent as maybe people make it out to be or as as directly correlated to Mike Vrabel as people make it out to be. Just because, yes, we saw the clip of Vrabel as the trade was being announced publicly and he had a reaction but it's not like he could see the graphic on the screen as he was having that reaction and i find it extremely unlikely that mike vrabel learned about this trade at the same time as the public did i think mike vrabel was involved in the discussions about the aj brown contract i think he had an inkling that a trade could be happening i strongly suspect he knew a trade was happening before that moment where the graphics and mike vrabel's reaction lined up perfectly but then at the same time, you look at what happened here and it sort of feels like the only way you could justify firing John Robinson right now at this point of the season is by virtue of what happened with A.J. Brown in that game. Well, that that was the kind of nail in the coffin and the thing that got him fired, even though it was six months later, that all makes sense. But these are like human beings that we're talking about that have worked together closely for six, seven years now. Mm -hmm. And I just want to know what the interaction between those human beings were like in the aftermath of that game, whether John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, uh, John Robinson and Amy Adams Strunk, or Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Vrabel and Amy Adams Strunk. And considering Mm -hmm. these are just human beings involved, just how I I think is the most logical thing with the the timing of it, as you say, because we are just heading into draft season and, and maybe you could make the argument this is a logical time to to change uh, front offices if you don't want this guy running it, except that no GMs almost are ever fired in in this time of year, certainly not for a team that is in the playoff hunt and has a history of making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe that one of those interactions between these people is what leads to it. And it's, it's unfortunate to speculate. I'm, I'm, I have my, I have my little suspicions, Bill. I like see how the game is being played. Mike Mm -hmm. Vrabel, Let's just say that his viewpoint is usually heard, I believe, from by the national media. And it's been sure. very quiet in this case. And so I think that quiet is is telling to me in, in some way. But it's it's impossible and, and irresponsible, frankly, Bill, to, to speculate. Why are you trying to make me do that? You're you're known as a pro speculation source, Greg Russell. <laughs> That's why I mean I think I am show. right here. I think some I think something happened here, but it's hard to tell whether it's Mike Rabel pushing for John Robinson mm-hmm. to be pushed out or or whether Amy Adams Strunk, who, by the way, behind, talking about behind the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, actually does have a really good reputation, which ownership there maybe didn't with with um, but her father. father yeah, yeah, with, yeah, with her father. Uh, since she's taken over and since Rabel and Robinson got there, they, they kind of had 
have a, a better reputation, I would say, as like a proactive, good ownership group. And I would I always thought with that AJ Brown thing, maybe it was just a cheap team being cheap because they could have mm-hmm. paid the money if they wanted to give him cash up front. And they're not exactly the most cash rich team out there. And I thought they were just basically not paying for AJ Brown when they could have made it happen. Uh, but this reaction makes me think, no, maybe it was just John Robinson thought it was the best idea. Sorry for rambling. No, that's why you're here. You're here to ramble and speculate, and you're doing that at a high level. I I agree. You know, I, I think that by all accounts, the offer that was put out there to AJ Brown was not a credible offer. It was not a market value offer for a young wide receiver entering the prime of his career. Now, I will also point out that there is a, a guy from New England who once traded Dion Branch at the end of his rookie deal for a first round pick and thought, you know, we will be able to replace this guy and did so quite comfortably. They had a year where they struggled, but in 2007, they traded for Randy Moss. They signed, they traded for Wes Welker and the rest was history. Um, with that in mind, I, I am a little surprised that Mike Vrabel was not sitting here thinking we should go out and, and maybe consider trading AJ Brown. Maybe it's not going to be for just dumping him for anything, but, it certainly felt like I could see a universe where Mike Vrabel would be interested in making that kind of trade and supplementing the offensive line or supplementing the defense or adding another piece up front or or all that stuff that you would associate with Mike Vrabel's, you know, uh, ideal style of football. Right. I have thought about this in the framework of like the Patriots specifically, because, you know, right. uh, I'm a Patriots fan and I've, and I have thought about this new paradigm where in the NFL where receivers are getting paid like quarterbacks and seem to have uh, that sort of value or that a, a very viable team building option is to mm-hmm. do what the Eagles have done, for instance, uh, and get A.J. Brown, pay him all that money and have a top uh, number one overall pick. And you, then you can make your quarterback a lot better that way. And just that is that approach, the Devontae Adams approach to Tyreek Hill. That's so anathema to what the Patriots have done at receiver mm-hmm. specifically, per, perhaps the position they've struggled with, like the most in terms of team building, like mm-hmm. a, a world where wide receivers are the second or third most valuable players in terms of contract and mm-hmm. along with tackles and edge rushers, like is a world. I don't know if, yeah, those Patriots type teams are ready for mm-hmm. now in terms of this deal. If you get a sense that there was some consternation or disagreement about the franchise between Robinson and Vrabel, and I think we have to at least operate, or maybe between Robinson and and Amy Adams-Strunk, there's some disagreement between John Robinson and the other principals in the Tennessee organization about where this team was being built and where it was heading. What does this move make you think about the future of the titans and the future of this roster and the core of this team do you think they're going to change path versus what we saw this past off season what's going what do you think the next couple years in terms of the desired roster construction looks like for this tennessee football team well they're in a tricky spot they you know they really didn't have a lot of cap space this year which was part of the aj brown move and might be part of the robinson firing what i hope doesn't happen is that they don't go away from who they are which is just like we're gonna draft a bunch of big strong men you know we're gonna (laughs) look good coming off the bus we're gonna get 
Uh, John, I think of for some reason, I think of John Smith as the ultimate yeah. Titan, even though he's wow, no longer like Derrick Henry is obviously an ultimate Titan. Even Tannehill as a quarterback fits in. Mm-hmm. A.J. Brown certainly did Simmons. Uh, they're just like a big physical team. And I, I think that made them unique. That's what I liked about John Robinson was they had a lane that they stuck to and yep. it worked for them. They picked a lot of players at uh, good values not always in the first round the last couple of years, but some good first round picks before that. I think Traylon Burks, by the way, is going to end up being fine. And uh, and mid-round picks that sort of had a toughness to them. So that fits with Mike Vrabel really well. And I, I would think Mike Vrabel is just going to have a lot more power here. That's not always the best thing to give to your coach, but it, it we'll see if, if it works. Mm-hmm. I just hope, I hope they just stay being the Titans. It, that was like <laughs> their thing. It made them special. We don't need, we don't need them to just turn into every other team. Do you think they get more aggressive now in terms of sort of keeping this core around? Do you think they go into more of a rebuild? My inclination is to think that it's more of the former than the hmm. latter. I I don't really buy rebuilds in the NFL. I don't know if that's a hot take. I just don't like people think of it in terms of other sports or the NBA. And I just feel like every game is so close in the NFL every season. There's so little separating like a six win team and an 11 win team that you're almost always going for. Uh, and I think they have been aggressive. They just were, they just made, they made dumb moves. I mean, the Robert Woods thing <laughs> hasn't worked out. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of their recent swings uh, at, in the first round with Caleb Farley and, and, and um, the tackle Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson didn't, didn't work out. Uh, they, they do have a, a stadium coming at some point. Maybe they'll be more aggressive, but I haven't thought of them as like an unaggressive team. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you? Not not necessarily, but the idea that you would trade A.J. Brown for a player who you're hoping turns into A.J. Brown because he's cheaper is defensible and reasonable, but I wonder if It wasn't, if that though. A... That was the thing is I didn't, I never thought it was defensible at the time. Uh, really? We, I killed it on, the, on our podcast uh, at the time. Because you knew what you had, and they they just didn't have anything else like that on the roster. There was so such a big drop off. It's one thing if you're trading him with other offensive weapons, but the the mm-hmm. offense was already starting to fall apart a little, and you didn't have a good offensive line. So I, it made no sense to me at all. I didn't like it, but I thought it was defensible. But I again, this is the perfect example. Now I'm thinking like, mm, am I wrong? Like, am I making a mistake here? Is Greg correct? I think you might be. Here's the way I would be wrong is that like almost every wide receiver taken in the first round these days seems to work out really well. Mm-hmm. So like if Traylon Burks is Justin Jefferson uh, picked around the same spot. Yeah, that of course it, it works out. But I'm it's just hard to assume you're going to hit that first round pick uh, at such a high level. I would rather spend, sure. you know, 25 million on A.J. Brown for sure than a lot of the players they have spent money on. And I think that's where you can get uh, at John Robinson. I mean, the Luan contract, I, I think, was a little questionable at the time mm-hmm. with his injury history and how he'd been playing and has not worked out. The Bud Dupree contract has, has clearly not worked out. It's not like they they haven't tried paying a lot of people. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And I mean, I think a lot of those players are coming up for new deals. I mean, the questions now are, do you sign Luan to another contract? Do you no. extend Derrick Henry, who has been slow the past couple of weeks do you extend ryan Tannehill? i think this team could be looking at you know a future with malik willis a quarterback and a, a new running back and you know a young core around burks and a different offensive line or we could see them go in the opposite direction and it could be same old guys with new deals and using the cap space that comes out there to add a piece or two 
I I, I kind of think they're going to go in that second direction, and we're going to see them really see what they can squeeze out of, of Tannehill and and Henry in the next few years to come. Right. I I think Tannehill is signed through next year. Henry is yep. as well. And I remember before this year there was like a conversation of like, oh yeah, you know they can get ready to move on from that huge contract from Tannehill after this season. And I'm thinking. Like twenty-seven million dollar base salary for Ryan Tannehill is great. <laughs> like, like the cap has gone up so much. That Ryan Tannehill trade was awesome, and I think mm-hmm. the contract was better than average. He's a better than average starting quarterback. Their offensive line is terrible, and I think mm-hmm. that's that's been seen this year because they're no longer even run blocking well. But they have been a, a bottom five pass blocking unit the last couple of years and Tannehill survived through it. Like he's not amazing, but I'm, I like that contract. If I'm the Titans doesn't mean you don't try to develop Malik Willis or, or even find like another young guy if you really mm-hmm. wanted, but that's good for next year. And so is Derrick Henry. So keep it going for one more year. Yeah. But I mean, if you keep it going for one more year, you probably have to sign them for, for two or three years to get that done. Why? Why can't you just, uh, just let, let the contracts run out? out? Yeah. That's the you're that's a, the thing to do with guys in their thirties, which is what Tannehill is. You're a, yes. you, that's crazy. Teams can't let their con- you have to make a decision about a player before his contract's up. I guess if it's Kirk Cousins, his agent, you know, running, <laughs> running the show, he's going to get that extra thirty million tacked on. And Tannehill wouldn't be that out of bounds by trying to get that done. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily do that. But I think. I think you just try to go go back for one more year. Hen- Henry worries me a little bit. I do think it's a lot to ask him what they've what they've asked him to do to do it, you know, forever. I, I think at the very least they have to start thinking about start thinking seriously. And if it means using a, a two or I guess a three, they which they use on Darrington Evans and it didn't work out, but I think you have to target your Henry replacement very soon. Um whether it's signing someone, whether it's taking some of the load off of him, or whether it's drafting a guy pretty high, thinking, okay, this is going to be our guy in, in 2023 or 2024, I should say, and beyond. I, yeah. I think it's probably at that point for Tennessee. Well, they took Haskins, uh, Hassan Haskins in the fourth yes. round this year. So yeah, you take some dart throws and in, in maybe you take a higher dart throw at running back. <laughs> but but sometimes, sometimes those players turn into Alexander Madison, for instance, who for I would sure. be totally happy with, with as my starting running back. I mean, we've seen we've seen Joe Mixon go out of the lineup and like they're not any worse at running the ball with Samaj P. Ryan. It does seem curious that the Panthers traded Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> the the de facto best running back in football, and their offense has been better with Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard as the as the as the running back duo. Odd. It wouldn't happen it, with other positions. It it really wouldn't. And uh I think Henry actually has looked good this year for the most part. I know he's struggled. And so that's that's where it all comes back to the line. The offensive line has been their number one failure mm-hmm. uh under John Robinson the last three years. They've had some injuries, but they've also just had some some bad moves and uh bad coaching. That's that's the position where it's like, if you can just figure out how to hire the right coaches, you save so much money. Mike McDaniel mm-hmm. goes to Miami. I know they got Teron Armstead, but for the most part, a lot of the same guys are just better and the scheme mm-hmm. is better because sure. the coaching's better. For sure. Absolutely. That is a position where I think the best coaches are worth millions and millions of dollars because you're saving so much money on the linemen you draft. Okay. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We have a lot to discuss outside of Tennessee. We are going to touch on the coaches and general managers Maybe not, we don't have time for both. We'll see what we can do. But coaches, general managers who are on the hot seat. So I'm not going to include someone like Sean McVay, where Sean McVay has a 0% chance of getting fired. He could choose to leave, if so inclined, if he wants to go work for Amazon or something, but not a real risk of him losing his job. So let's start with that NFC West. And let's start with Arizona, where Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime, who were just extended, like John Robinson, coincidentally, John Robinson's extension was not super long. I think it was only a few years, whereas Cliff and Steve Kime are extended, I think, until 2027, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, No one was like, what if they had just extended them to 25? Was anyone competing for that? Was anyone going to be unhappy with that? It's just like, how did they get that? I think uh, there had been some attempt to play some college football leverage with Cliff Kingsbury. And then if you extend Cliff Kingsbury that long, you got to extend Steve Kime that long. You wouldn't want to have to deal with giving Steve Kime another contract. It's a a good job, Greg. If you can become an NFL general manager and you're with a owner who really likes you, it's a good place to be financially uh, and you're going to be set for a long time. But this Cardinals season has been such a disappointment that I think it's almost tough to imagine both those guys coming back for another season. I agree with you, and I have heard some conversation that 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 the contracts wouldn't preclude them from making a change. I I think the arrest and the firing of the offensive line coach. I think Sean the fact Kingsbury, that yeah. they're on hard knocks. Um, I think uh, obviously just the general uh, unhappiness that shows up between the coach and the quarterback all of that i think contributes to it beyond just the four and eight and kimes clearly has the ear of ownership like when you watch that hard knocks like he's you know he's sitting next to bidwell the entire time but mm-hmm. barring some sort of great run at the end here and we have seen that bill like sometimes when a team just randomly wins the last three games even if it's yep. only to win seven games on the season that's enough to change minds and so you never know if that could happen but barring that i i think they'll both be gone you'll think they both will leave not just one yeah yeah i don't think it'll just be kime 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 to me has got to go uh i i've the culture there i they don't have a a great uh 
reputation, shall we say, like when this mm-hmm. news happened about the offensive line coach, it wasn't a, a team that I think surprised people mm-hmm. uh, around the league that that might happen to this team. It's a mess. Kyler's not going anywhere. And you really just, I think would like to see Kyler in another, another area and man watching. I don't know. Have you watched the hard knocks bill? I have not. Okay. So I didn't watch the last one that they did mm-hmm. because I got so annoyed about how they just ignored <laughs> the firing, the Kugler yeah. firing. And I also, and how they ignored the, you know, Benjamin release that they said was going to yep. be juicy that I mm-hmm. stopped watching. Um, but Cliff it, is not done any favors by that, that show. No, like I don't him so. in front of a room of NFL players. It's just, I, I feel like I've seen enough because I could just you could just see like he's not connecting. So if he's not bringing a lot on the scheme level and they're losing games, I I don't know. I think I think he'll lose it, too. I think that's the tough part is, um, you know, like like this was supposed to be a guy who was going to be a really sound offensive mind. And by the numbers, they've been a better defense than they have been offense over the past three seasons, even while they've been investing a ton into the offensive side of the ball. And some of that is the offensive line or injuries here or there. But like Cliff has some say, he has some insight into what the decisions they're making. So I I, I think it's very defensible to fire Cliff based on his performance over these three seasons. And I guess sort of in the, the same way Matt Rule's contract wasn't maybe quite as onerous as it seemed because Matt Rule got hired pretty quickly and there were offsets for Matt Rule you would imagine that the Cardinals will have offsets. And so Cliff Kingsbury getting paid somewhere else will then save the Cardinals money that they were going to pay to him. If Steve Kime gets fired, he might not get another NFL job. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility. He has been a Cardinals lifer and his resume, frankly, is not all that impressive. No, and it includes an arrest. I, yes. I, I mean, extreme you, you, DUI arrest. Right. You, uh, you also, you know, I don't know if you have any Texas Tech fans in your life or college fans, but it's not like Cliff uh, lit it up. No, uh, at the college level with some great and, and he talent had, either. He had he had an okay quarterback for some of that time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know there was a lot of production. There wasn't a lot of winning, and um, I don't know. I just think you can't you can't run your your organization that way. It's it's unfortunate, but you end up, mm-hmm. you know, spending that much money on a defensive tackle sometimes in free agency that plays like 600 snaps as, <laughs> as you will on the rest of Steve Kimes contract. So uh, I just feel like if you really have lost faith in, in the leadership tandem, I think they're going to go together would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. A team that has managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory a couple times this year. And I think a fan base that is used to a different level of success are the new Orleans saints. And Dennis Allen is in his first year as a head coach. We're going to get to a couple other first-year options, I think, as this conversation goes on. Mickey Loomis has been there forever. They have been, as documented many times, just kicking the salary cap can down the well, whatever that metaphor is, down the road. Down the road is what I was thinking of. So they haven't been exactly... uh, They've been trying to squeeze another playoff berth out of this core they're now four and nine. So are you concerned about Dennis Allen's role or Dennis Allen's future with the New Orleans Saints? 
Yes, although I think I I would be more inclined to make a change quickly than the Saints will be. Dennis mm-hmm. Allen was a wasn't not hiring because you're losing Dennis Allen as a defensive coordinator when you make him the head coach. I don't think he's probably as good at, at being a defensive coordinator. Sure. I think you saw Johnson trade. P- part of that trade was made because he like thought Bradley Roby was having such a great training camp and he couldn't handle like his authority being questioned. And you know, I work at the NFL network with a lot of ex players there. There is, there aren't many coaches um, that inspired as much like uh, enmity as, uh, as Dennis Allen, when he was a head coach the last time around. And I've heard some stuff that's happened this year that, that he just, mm-hmm. the idea of like, what does Dennis Allen really bring to the table as a head coach other than he's like a comfortable hire that Mickey Loomis and the rest of the building kind of knows and and everyone got to keep their jobs? I'm not really sure because they're they're really sloppy. They suddenly just turned into a turnover prone, penalty laden team. And the other day after the game, they asked about that 12 men on the field penalty mm-hmm. and he just takes no responsibility for it. He just says, well, that's a 12. That's a an offensive communication issue and that's something we have to work on and it's like you're the coach of the offense (laughs) that's your coach that's your team like and it just doesn't feel like he coaches like an offense almost no one goes for fourth down uh Mm -hmm. as little as dennis allen over his two tenures as head coach yeah i mean it doesn't feel great right and i think the tough part is like i i guess the follow-up question is this and then this might inform how i feel about this decision do you think what's happened with the Saints this year has been so bad that they are finally going to just eat their vegetables and have that sort of bear season where they just create the cap space, they <laughs> move on from their path? Like, 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 is it finally reset year? Have they hit bottom? Or do you think they just go back and get on this path again next year? I think they'll just go back on the path and they'll <laughs> win enough games they'll win two or three more games and get to six or seven. And Allen will be able to point to his defensive stats got better as a single. And I don't think they'll be inspired to change. I know saints fans are hoping that they rip the bandaid off. Mm -hmm. There's like a pretty solid hashtag fire Dennis Allen. Yeah. Movement out there. And I do think they are an exceptional, like poorly coached team. If I was ranking like the, the worst coaching jobs in the, in the league this Mm -hmm. year, I think the Broncos and the Saints would be my top two picks. Broncos are pretty high up there. I will say and that's the Saints- just the offense, though. The Saints, it's yes. like the whole thing. The whole yes. thing is sloppy. And the injury situation, something strange. They've had a they've had a good thing going down there. And then I think Sean Payton knew exactly <laughs> when to quit on the team, even though he had just leveraged a, a ton of money. Uh, by threatening to leave many different times, even though his best friend is going to negotiate the terms of his trade when he comes back. It's like, mm-hmm. this is my pet little uh, project here is like, can someone put a little more heat on Sean Payton, uh, putting them in a in a tough spot? Well, yes. And he is responsible at the end of the day. He was responsible for a lot of their decisions that I think some of which, including by me, maybe inaccurately gets pinned on Mickey Loomis because he's a traditional general manager. I think at the end of the day, they did what Sean Payton wanted to do for better or worse. But that might be the moment for them, right? Like if, if you're going to say, okay, we're going to have that year where we are a mess and we we just cut the core and we start over again, why not have it be next year where you may have two first round picks from the 
uh, from the paid in trade. I think that's probably what it's going to take to get it oh, done. Oh, come on. See, this is where so? I'm getting angry. Uh, this is, and I could be wrong, but I think Mickey Loomis is it. They have no leverage. It that I, That's the part of this that like imagine if a player quit in the middle of his contract and then mm-hmm. was going on national shows while his team was playing, kind of joking about how he, he's going to return and maybe coach up with Lamar Jackson and then mm-hmm. have his literal best friend in the world dictate the terms of that trade. I don't think they're going to get much for Sean Payton because so? he has to go. Everyone knows he has to go. And Mickey Loomis isn't going to hold out for some like great uh picks i think they're not going to get that much for him Ooh. you're gonna get the bruce arians package instead of the the john gruden package what was the bruce arians package i don't remember Bruce arians was like a five i'd love to be proven wrong but i think there's a better chance mickey loomis is working with sean payton somewhere eventually than oh. there is them get, actually getting a good uh terms i i kind of don't like how they've just i don't know taken taking charge of that organization I- it doesn't seem like it's especially gone great for the Saints. It doesn't look like their plan, which, you know, by all accounts, people have said, oh, they're great. They're so smart. They they maneuver the cap. They do all this stuff. Well, they're exactly where I think everyone expected they would be once they lost their star quarterback and their excellent head coach. Right. They had a, they had a great, great head coach who was great at yes. attention to detail and, and saw the whole game beautifully and a great, great quarterback. And yeah, they don't have either. So there's not anything special anymore. Yes. Speaking of things that are not special, the Denver Broncos, Greg, you mentioned the offense is not particularly well coached. And I don't think we need to debate that here. But what I will ask you is this. Is there anything that could happen over the final month of this season that would lead you to think that it was a good idea, a genuinely good idea to bring Nathaniel Hackett back for year two? Anything? No. I mean, scoring 35 points a game. <laughs> would, would that <laughs> even just be it? I mean, if you painted a picture, yeah, where they they suddenly are the number one offense in the league, Bill, the next five weeks uh, without Cortland Sutton and KJ Hamler and Javante Williams and Russ is just like suddenly lighting it up and they're amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it seems as far-fetched as any possible outcome considering they're the lowest scoring offense since 2000. But yeah, if that <laughs> happened. But barring that, that's about it. If they sweep the Chiefs, would that be enough? <laughs> I mean, I maybe. So. If it was like 9-6 to six each game, then no. But if it was like 30-27, to 27, I, I don't know. Then I, if suddenly it started clicking, that, that might be enough for me. But it's not going to happen. Okay, it's not going to happen is right. I just want to play devil's advocate. But yeah. now, Daniel Hackett leaves. What do you do? Ejiro Evero, the defensive coordinator here, has been great. The The Broncos are second in the league in scoring defense. They're just trapped with this abysmal wreck of an offense. And if you hire another head coach, you run the risk of losing Ejiro Evero as a great defensive option but then at the same time, if you promote Evero and make him the head coach, your pool of possible offensive minds to take over and fix this horrific offense is reduced drastically. So, Greg, if you were ownership here, if you were George Patton here, you've just made probably the second worst coaching hire of the past five years behind Urban Meyer. Ooh. What do you do? Man, and that reminds me of Nathaniel Hackett back in Jacksonville. In the, yes, back in the day with Blake, 
Blake Bortles. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that that staff, the Jaguar staff, would have uh, Robert Sala and Nathaniel Hackett, multiple future head coaches on staff as positional and coordinator guys? So <laughs> they know Evero better than anyone, and he should be considered, certainly. There's a world, perhaps, where you could somehow keep him and hire a head coach. Seems unlikely. I think sure. uh, Jiro Evero is like the number one winner of of the Denver Broncos 2022 season, and he the is going to be the only winner. Right, he's going to be highly sought after. I think for head coaching interviews and certainly for coordinator jobs. But he was a safeties coach as recently as 2020. Um, so he, who knows if if he ends up being there? But there's there's no chance that Hackett's staying because there's an ownership change too. I think I think mm-hmm. George Patton certain. Is it Patton or it's actually Peyton? George Peyton Peyton, has to be worried uh, about that. Whenever there's an ownership change, it just usually means that if there's any struggles, uh, changes are coming. And and that could be in the front office as well. So would you fire Peyton based on how poorly this year has gone? No. I mean, but I also like the coach and the GM to be you know, aligned if, if possible. So then Peyton has to be heavily involved. And I would say the, the most important person in the coaching search, and he did just hire Hackett and it's unfortunate, but that might be a one and done situation. What you, I think you can't do as new ownership is sort of try to have it both ways. Well, like, well, Peyton, you're in the penalty box, but we'll keep you around and we'll hire the coach and he'll be more in charge, but we're sticking you with Peyton. And could that sort of thing happens all the time with new and old owners? And that's that's the wrong way to go. Either the, Peyton has to be totally empowered to try to get his way out of this Russell Wilson mess and, and find the next coach, or you just totally start from scratch. So which would you pick? Why are you putting me? Why, why are you trying to get me to fire people? <laughs> you're, you're the, it's the whole point of this show is to. No, I see how it works. Hire so he's like, who can them. be the heartless grim reaper? You know, delivering firings before the holidays. For all you know, that you know, families still are get listening paid. to this bill. They still get paid. They'll be fine. I'm not talking about firing the quality control guy. Okay, the, so I would I would clean house because I would trust in my own. Um, ability to try to find the right people to help me find the right people. Now, mm-hmm. do does the Walton family um, have that confidence? Should they have that confidence? You know, having just jumped into the league here, mm-hmm. it's a trickier question, which is why I don't think it's crazy to give Peyton a mulligan and mm-hmm. let him try to hire another coach. But e- either way, if if you're going to do the the work the right way and hire the right people um, to help you on the journey. It's tricky though. We haven't seen a lot of owners do it very well when they first take over. The Walton family does not have the resources that the Greg Rosenthal search firm has for finding talent. Let's be well, you know, I've, I've been covering this league bill for a long time. They're Johnny come lately. No, they could, they're the team that can just hire Sean Payton and give them all the money. I mean, they are that team. They they are the Stan Kroenke team sort of that can just just pay whatever the hottest name is. And and I guess it's Sean Payton to just like do everything. I, Jim Harbaugh is not a guy I'd be interested in, but I think that's the sort of power and, and money he'll want if, if he does jump back to the NFL, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think 
if if the price is like you said a fifth round pick or something late it would be the obvious move and i think the only issue would be making sure that you get sean payton versus the other teams who are going to be willing to offer similar i think amounts of money like i think at the end of the day coaches are all underpaid so well right but who could change that uh salary structure but the richest owners in the league by like a good amount now you know they they really could just pay for it and it'd probably be worth it and you might have to pay a little russell wilson tax too because i don't know if i don't know if sean payton or um you know would want to go coach him that's fair that's very fair uh it could be Taysom hill is what you're saying with the broncos next year (laughs) um elsewhere i'm not gonna go with the chargers i don't think i think they'd have to really just sink over the next few games of the year to have brandon staley's job really in trouble Mm. texans you got the Excellent. Dolphins on Sunday Night Football, and they got the Titans the week after that. That's true. It could be rough. Oh, no. I'm a little worried. You're a little worried? How, on a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you about the Chargers? That they could be hiring a new coach, a 7. A, a set? Wow. It's, that's, that mm-hmm. seems high. I, I just think if they have finished the season with a losing record, and considering Sean Payton, for instance, put yeah. out a list of places he'd want to coach before the season ever started in Miami that included Miami who had a first year head coach. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, but the, the two names at the top of that list that he, this was in the Miami Herald, Barry Jackson, it was the dolphins and the chargers and just makes a lot of sense. Former blurber, Greg Rosenthal, making sure to credit the, where he got the story from. Very thoughtful man. That was, that was uh, the rule back then. Of course, it would be hard. I mean, I mean, I, I think Staley, you can make some serious questions about Staley's performance this year, um, even independent of the, the fourth down stuff. But it has only been two years, and one of those years was a winning record. I mean, I I would be inclined to give him a third season. But I agree. I I wouldn't mind seeing a different offensive coordinator, but I would be inclined to give him a third season and see That's if they ever can stay healthy. Yeah. Hire hire Sean Payton to be the offensive coordinator. <laughs> that pay him thirty million dollars a year. Um, the Texans. It certainly seems like they are fluid when it comes to their decision making process. Lovey Smith is one ten and one. It seemed like he was hired at the last moment when the Texans really wanted to hire Josh McCown or one of several other people to be their head coach, Nick Casario does not appear to be making major strides forward as he tries to rebuild this team. Do you think either of them are in danger of not coming back in 2023? I think they're in danger. It's hard to know how willing the McNairs are to clean house for the third straight year because it's virtually unprecedented. You've seen it happen a handful of times. The 49ers did it uh, in the post-Harbaugh era. Yeah. I think Nick Casario could be in trouble here, if only because, like I said, how many general managers have ever been allowed to coach or to hire three coaches? Mm-hmm. Like, how many general managers have been allowed to hire three coaches over 20 years? Almost virtually none. How many general managers have been allowed to hire three coaches in three years? Mm-hmm. Like, none. I like, can't think of very many. I, I don't. I don't think Nick Casario covered himself in glory with how the Deshaun Watson situation unfolded. I know they got a good return for Watson in the end, but he was part of the whole um, working alongside Jack Easterby. And I think that's where the McCown stuff was coming from. It's not, I don't think they're going to be hiring 
Josh McCown. It's tricky. Casario, like Sean Payton, has a lot of friends in the media. And you could say he's mm-hmm. been handed almost an impossible situation. And and maybe you'd be right, but it just is unprecedented. So I don't know what to make of like whether you would allow the guy to hi- to hire two straight one and done coaches that you mm-hmm. gave four or five year contracts to. Yeah. Um, absolutely. It feels like every coach who goes there is on the franchise tag in terms of what they make for one year and then they get fired. Um, it, it doesn't really feel like this would be a very appealing job to other coaches, though, which I think is why we saw, I think it was, did Heinz Ward get an interview for this job last year? I forgot about that. I think that's, he did. that's Ward, right. That's why yeah, like, I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't be inclined to just fire um Loving. Nick Casario, okay, sir. like to, to, you know, to at least like see some of these draft picks and, and see, like, let it play out before switching gears when you, you haven't even really started. But it's also kind of unacceptable to be like hiring coaches like this and firing them and, and using them in the, kind of the, the strange way that they, they have. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, Elsewhere in the AFC South, the Colts have fired most of the incumbents from the last few years. Frank Reich is gone. Marcus Brady, the OC, is gone. Matt Eberflus left for the Bears as head coach. The other core piece of that organization still in their role is general manager Chris Ballard, who uh, Jim Irsay has said very positive things about. Jim Irsay has also said very positive things about Frank Reich and then fired him a week later. Um, so Ballard and, of course, head coach Jeff Saturday seem like their status is in the air heading into 2023. Do you think those guys are back next year? I think Saturday has a chance. I think Irsay went into this wanting to give him a real chance. I mean, he sort of he said as much. And so they're one and three now. That's actually, you know, worse than than Reich was doing. But if they win two or three more games, I think Ursay would be open to it. I don't think he's inclined to to change Chris Ballard out. That that seems pretty clear. Do you think they should? No. I I think Ballard's been a good drafter. The quarterback thing has crushed them. It the offensive line investing that much in it and then it imploding is like a is a killer um, mm-hmm. but I think Frank Reich for instance was a good hire back in the day it just seems like Ballard's not really making the decisions anyways uh, at least when it comes to coaching he, he's certainly not and it sounds like <laughs> even quarterbacks he, he really wasn't yeah um, so what's know, the it's point certainly... it's like you could have anyone if if you want to keep him there because he's happy working under Jim Irsay then, then I guess you just keep him yeah I mean by all accounts Jim Irsay, not that other people were not happy with Carson Wentz, but it was Jim Irsay who said, you know, uh, according to multiple published reports, like, we need to move on from Carson Wentz. Doesn't matter what the cap situation is. Doesn't matter anything else. Like, we need to get this done, period, which, um, you know, hasn't aged all that poorly. I think he wasn't like Carson Wentz has made them regret that move. Um, You know, the other moves, the Frank Reich, uh, the decision to fire Reich seems to be an Ursay move. The decision to hire Saturday seems to be an Ursay move. So I, I think you have a valid point in terms of of, of sort of Ursay being the guy calling the shots and Ballard just sort of trying to make do under those circumstances. I think I am more, how can I put this nicely? 
I, I, I can understand the quarterback moves. I think in a vacuum, they're each pretty reasonable. I think the worst one might have been extending Jacoby Brissett in light of the Andrew Luck deal, if anything. But I think mm. we have seen we have seen the offensive line decay, and I think that's a big concern. I think we've seen a lot of the young players that they've taken on defense to be core players on that defense not work out. You know, there should be more in the secondary. There should be more on the edge and their best players on, on on defense their best players in at least in the on the front four are yannick and and deforest buckner the two veterans they acquired um you know i think that's a bigger concern for me than the decisions they made at quarterback even though of course quarterback is a more important position yeah i think shaq leonard's back injury kind of hangs over this franchise yeah. there's a little bit of a question of whether he'll be able to fully recover. He certainly wasn't ready to play football this year, which is, Mm -hmm. which is a bummer. And they, yeah, they put so much into running back and guard and inside linebacker, off ball linebacker, and they they have good safeties. They did it a different way. And maybe I'm just trying to defend the fact that I I had Ballard like ranked number one or two in my GM rankings for just like draft only a couple of years ago. And Mm -hmm. now I'm just feeling pretty stupid. Well, why don't we (laughs) like, like, but like, like that's like a valid conversation though. No, I mean, I think about the Seahawks where we've gotten a decade or so to see John Schneider work. And the first couple of years, he would have been number one in those rankings because he, his drafts were incredible. They found multiple Hall of Famers, Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, uh, Bobby Wagner, in the second, third, fifth round of their drafts, let alone getting Earl Thomas, getting Russell Lacoon in the first round. So they felt like, okay, we know the Seahawks are great at drafting. They have like seven years of bad drafts, some of which they traded picks away, some of which they just chose players with uh, relatively low in the positional spectrum. But we had a perception that they were bad drafters to the point where I remember very, very, uh, very markedly when the Jamal Adams trade happened, Seahawks fans were arguing, well, we don't need those picks because we're going to pick bad players anyway. So who cares? Like, let's just trade them for a good player. And now you look at what happened this year. The Seahawks have revitalized that organization with probably the best draft in football last year in terms of Charles Cross, Kenneth Walker, Abraham Lucas, Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant, multiple starting contributors as rookies to one of the league's more surprising teams. Like, I'm not saying you're wrong to rank Ballard one or two because someone has to, and I don't think you're you're you you were incorrect to do that at the time. I don't think you're stupid now to think that he's still good at it. I, I just think that we have to be reactionary to one or two or three drafts as very meaningful for uh, a general manager's ability to draft when I don't know that it really proves all that much. Right. It gets into the whole like is drafting luck conversation because over a long enough timeline no one's that good at drafting and everyone has some wins and then you can you can find dips belichick's head long stretches of poor drafts and then now the last couple drafts look good although the yeah. mac jones barmore looked great a year ago and now doesn't look as good mm-hmm. so it's like it's it's very hard to count on just being better at drafting than other teams. I think what's more important is to have sort of a cohesive mm-hmm. idea of what you're going for and have that match up really well with your 
coaching staff and that like everyone is working well together. I think the Eagles certainly do a good job of that. And and they have drafted better the last couple of years, but they had a long, long dry spell with, with their drafts too. But that everyone's like working together probably is a better way to evaluate uh, front offices mm-hmm. when it comes to these rankings more than just like looking at the draft history and seeing how many hits and misses you can get. But it's, it's, it's kind of hard to be able to do that from the outside, the out from the outside. It's, Kind of looks like the Colts are a little bit of a mess right now, and that maybe starting over would would be healthy. Now that I think of it, so you talk, you convinced yourself that it'd be a good idea to move on. It just feels like this is unhealthy. Like Ursay spent so long saying he wasn't going to micromanage uh, until things got a little gnarly over the last couple of years, and like he needs to go back to not micromanaging. But it seems like as long as Chris Ballard's there and Jeff Saturday. It probably will be or say micromanaging. So it seems like he'd be better off like starting anew and taking a step back. So do you think that the best thing for the Colts or Chris Ballard to do is try and distract Jim Irsay? <laughs> I think like, the best thing like, for them to do is win like three games. That's the distraction. It's like when Doug Marone went one and one as interim head coach <laughs> with the Jaguars, but he played Peyton Manning and the Colts close. I believe yes. It, it, yes. it's a a weird thing to remember but it was like oh well i guess marone did it and then they got like everyone got another couple of years on their contracts after that do you remember the romeo quinnell interim coach game ah uh, that's right you know romeo quinnell always... beat the undefeated packers as the chiefs interim coach and got another year the following season you know romeo deserves whatever he's gotten in life i think that's something uh you and me as a giants and patriots fan um can agree on you know like i'm glad he got that money and as many opportunities as he could the good news is romeo cornell won two games as an interim coach for the chiefs and two games as the permanent coach for the chiefs so he was consistent that was sad it was sad but they ended up getting Andy shout out Reed. to todd haley by Worked the way well. i feel like if you look at what happened todd haley is a <laughs> decent coach actually i don't agree I, with that at all i'll take at all, I don't agree with that. But that's another conversation for another day. Relitigating decade-long, decade-ago firings in the NFL. We can hit a different day. Are there any other coaches or GMs, Greg, you think we should touch on before we wrap up here? No, you you hit the most obvious ones. I think Steve Wilkes has a, a better chance to stay um, yeah. than maybe most people would. I think if they go three and two down the stretch, I, I think he does stay. And I, Or I think if it's they just play competitively. Mm-hmm. I think Ron Rivera is in a very similar situation to the, his last couple of years in Carolina, where there's going to be new ownership, but the new ownership's not going to be there until after the period where you would change coaches. And if they make the playoffs, that would be uh, a null conversation anyways. And then I think Josh McDaniels was smart not to bring up. So just saying that I think he's good. I, I even at whatever the record was when they were at their absolute bottom, Still thought it would have been crazy to fire McDaniels. And I, I'm I'm not a Josh McDaniels fan. I don't think he's a great coach. I don't think I had very optimistic hopes for the Raiders this year. I was negative on them as anybody. They're also they were better than a two and seven record, even though they've, you know, won a bunch of close games in recent weeks. I, I think they're about a league average team, which is fine. I think you can still poke holes in what they did, but I think it would have been crazy to fire McDaniels after one year if you're gonna be asking him to sort of rebuild the culture of the organization after the Gruden fire. Well, plus he's Tom Brady bait. 
And we know Mark Davis tried to get Tom Brady the last time he was a free agent and he's about mm-hmm. to be a free agent again. And I am uh, I'm almost expecting it at this point. Tom Brady to the Vegas strip like an aging superstar. It's all too perfect, Bill. You don't. You, but then wouldn't that also mean Sean Payton has to go to the Vegas strip? No. Why does Tom, well, Sean Payton has to go with Tom Brady wherever that, he goes? That no. was, the, that was Mc, the Dolphins rumor, no? Well, McDan- that, McDaniels would be the bait here, though. I think Tom, Tom Brady would be happy to be to be with McDaniels. And you can actually get, uh, I would guess, a first-round pick plus for Derek Carr. You can kind of win on both sides while you don't have to give up anything for Tom Brady. But that that's this is a conversation for January. Who's no? Oh, I want to finish up with this. Who's trading a first round pick for Derek Carr making $37.5 million a year? The Jets. The Jets? No, they are not. Like Why wouldn't they just sign like a late first round pick? One of those teams that has figured out how to get multiple picks or you trade back in the first round. I think the Jets would give up like the 23rd pick in the draft for Derek Carr. Absolutely. They, you wouldn't rather just sign Jimmy Garoppolo if you're the Jets? I wouldn't, no. Wow. Derek I mean, Carr Jimmy Garoppolo is worse and he never stays healthy. <laughs> he Derek, is, but he's cheaper. Derek Carr is like he's as reliable as like uh I don't know. As like Derek Carr is the luxury brand, Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, that's fair, but he's always on the field and uh you put him in that I don't know. I'm not like making a case for like Derek Carr being some game changer, but I do think sounds like you are. No, I think that I just mean there's gonna be teams that are looking for quarterbacks this off season, the jets, the commanders, uh, who else do we want to throw in this mix? The, the Texans Lions, potentially Texans yeah, some of them, I think are going to try to get them in the draft. Um, the Seahawks Panthers. potentially depending on, um, if Gino, leaves. I can't believe you would. Oh, if he leaves, well, I, I just think he's going to get, he's going to get a Ryan Tannehill type contract in, Seattle's going to have to be willing to give it to him. If they are, then they'll, then he'll stay. You don't think they'll, you don't think they would franchise him? That would make sense. That would make sense. You don't sound I would hope so. Idea. I would hope they would recognize what, what he's done. I don't know. I'm just saying. How happy Derek, are you? De- Derek Carr would have a market if, if he was available and then you can sign Tom Brady. So you get like the picks and like a, a lateral move at quarterback. It's perfect. So you'd rather have Derek Carr than Geno Smith? No. Okay, no way. That's what I wanted to make sure. I wanted to make sure. Oh. Come on, man. We're talking like MVP candidate. And now you can say that without actually thinking he has any chance to win MVP because you do have to vote for five guys on your list. And I would say Geno Smith is absolutely in the mix to be one of those five. <laughs> like he would be in my top 10 for sure. So that means he has a chance to, to be five. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Can you imagine a scenario where you have an MVP vote and Geno Smith gets one MVP vote? Everyone would just assume it was like one first place MVP vote. Everyone would just assume it was you. Bring it. I want all these to be public. Give me my MVP vote. I want it. They don't, they don't, they won't give it to me. They won't do it. Um, plus I work for the NFL. I think it's against that's literally against the rules, but they wouldn't have given it. Besides, besides those two reasons. Give Greg Rosenthal an MVP vote. I, I'm with. I'm with. Wouldn't this, it be this, amazing this, if Geno Smith got an MVP vote versus before Russell Wilson, or, or <laughs> <laughs> after all that nonsense? I forgot about that debate. That was a good one. 
where we were all sure it's like oh how can russell wilson not not have gotten an mvp vote this is offensive and then he didn't get one and nobody batted an eye at that and then he's gotten way worse what i know well it was it was one of the first things i thought about when i saw the voting had been changed this year which just shows you how weird i am that like i thought like oh they finally added five for the mvp votes just in time for russell wilson to fall off a cliff because he would have gotten he would have gotten plenty of thirds and fourths and stuff you know he would have gotten his vote for sure absolutely yeah too late now until sean payton goes there and fixes russell wilson for 45 million dollars a year Greg, you cannot vote for MVP, but you do do a lot of things for the NFL Network. Where can people check that stuff out? The the most important, Bill, is the uh, Around the NFL podcast. Four times a week, five times a week. Uh, but we also have Game Day View, which is a fun pick show I do on, on Friday nights with Rachel Bonetta, Patrick Claibon, Cynthia Freeland. It's good times. It's like replayed at like one in the morning if you're just like <laughs> up for whatever reason, having the munchies and you know, want a fun show to watch. <laughs> I can't I, I have to endorse whatever we have on an ESPN at one in the morning, but if you have the munchies, I'd recommend checking out that show for sure. Greg, you know it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to my friend Greg Rosenthal from NFL Network. Greg does awesome work as a writer, as a podcaster, as a video correspondent. Check out everything Greg does. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We have more. NFL audio content coming next week. But until then, thanks so much for listening.